welcome back to the Creator Club podcast. You're here with John Marsh. I hope you had a great week so far and I hope you like that new intro music. Put a new little track on there for you guys. If you're a coach or creative business owner, this is your show to learn the key skills you need to attract dream clients, grow your business and build confidence. We have a lot of conversations with service providers, business owners, service business owners and coaches so that you can listen to their stories and pick up some insights that you can use to help you in your own business journey. Today on the show, we've got a conversation with James Tomlinson, also goes by JT. And there's really no other way to describe JT other than to say he is a prolific creator. He's a very talented and passionate athlete. He is a BJJ athlete, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's a teacher and coach, and he's also an author. He's also created a card game, and he's a co-founder of Bulletproof for BJJ, which is an online strength and mobility program for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athletes. So he's really doing a lot of stuff, and in the conversation today, we talk about his background, how he got into BJJ, and how he got into business And then we dive straight into some of the work that he's doing now, uh, which is leading up to the release of his new book. So it's a very cool uh, journey and conversation we get to have because you'll get some insights as to what goes on behind the scenes when you go to put something like this together. Let's jump into the show. You're here with John Marsh. This is the Creator Club podcast. And today we've got James Tomlinson. I'm excited to talk about the book, John. Don't get me started. You, you, it's a Pandora's box, mate. You're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about um, the cards a little bit. And I also, if we if we get there, I want to zoom out and talk a little bit about this whole world that you're building with all of this stuff. Definitely. And how you're thinking on a macro level because from a business perspective, I actually think that there's tons that people can learn from how you think about this all. And I don't even know if you're thinking about this with bulletproof work that you're doing, but how you're creating the world that people can engage in through the book, through the card game, through all of the different things. So there's a lot I'd like to get into and see what we have time for, but I'm excited. All right. Well, Hopefully, uh, hopefully, I can shut up long enough to let you ask me a, re- a pertinent question. Well, let's let's start off with the. Give us an update on the book, um, where things are at, what the book is about, and what you're up to there. Okay, so Jugo, uh, the power of jujitsu is essentially book one. Last year during lockdown, I wrote uh, the full book, which turned out to be about 120,000 words. And when I took it to the editing group, they said uh, 10 to 12-year-olds will not read 120,000 words. And I was like, fair enough. Um, So they advised me to turn it into two books and edited it as such. And so this first book essentially is is book one of two. Um, It's a a great standalone book um, because it is the heart and the essence uh, of, I guess, my story and a lot of young kids stories out there we you know it's about bullying and we all experience bullying and uh when i was a young kid i was very nerdy and i I got picked on a lot and i didn't have very many friends and i was particularly uncool 
Um, and I never got much help from my parents with regards to dealing with that. And it was only once I found martial arts, it really changed um, my life and, and just all the different great component elements that come with training martial arts. Yeah. And the Jugo story is about a little nerdy bullied child who finds Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that changes his life. Excellent. And what inspired you to write a book? Like, how did you, how did you go from, okay, I'm, you know, jujitsu was great for me and it helped my confidence to, okay, I've got to do a book. And also maybe you mentioned the, you know, the card game that you created. Sure. So, I mean, from inception, there's a few things here. Um, I mean, I've, I did Taekwondo first. The martial art I found was uh, Taekwondo and it was a very traditional school, but I learned a lot from that. I, I guess the reason why I thought, oh, I want to write this book. I, okay. So a number of years ago, I thought doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that the game and the chess-like nature of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu problem solving hadn't been gamified. No one had made it a game. And when I was a kid, I love Uno. You know, like I think even now, like Uno is so universal, even though it's so basic, even, you know, our generation are buying packs of Uno and playing it with our kids, you know. Um, not that I have kids, but you know what I mean. And um, I felt there should be a BJJ Uno of sorts. The problem is BJJ is far more complex. Uh, making games is extremely complex and trying to bring the two worlds together is its own thing. Uh, and look, I was just scratching my own itch in terms of being nerdy and loving jujitsu and wishing I had a game that I could just further my obsession with jujitsu with my friends. But the truth is, it's also a learning mechanism because I wanted the mechanics of the game to replicate actual jujitsu movements and sequences. And one of the hardest things when you're teaching any subject matter is for people to understand uh, component parts and sequencing. And that's what the game Jugo is all about. At the same time, I was kind of coalescing an idea about a story which was reminiscent of my childhood, which is the early 90s. And I feel like this is a, a, a moment in time that's underglorified. Um, you know, the 80s is really lauded and, you know, like there's different points in time, the 60s and 70s and like early 90s is just kind of written off as trash, but there was a lot of good stuff um, artistically. Obviously, there's many social things that were going wrong at that time. But for me, the early 90s is so good. Like rap at that time was good, like grunge music, um, even, even, yeah, rock. There's, there's so many good things that happened in the early 90s that I feel just didn't get their shine. And so I wanted to set a story that's pre-internet around a time that I can speak very strongly from and to other people who can relate to that time. Because even though this sounds silly, because we are now talking over Zoom through very highly developed technologies, there is a beauty to a childhood without the internet. And I'm not saying this with any kind of nostalgia. I'm just saying as a paradigm, not having all the answers causes you to problem solve and think in different ways. And I would like people to go into that world. And that's why I felt the need to create a story which just just kind of unfurled very naturally for me um, in a very organic way. Okay, cool. So maybe we could talk about your practice of putting the book together. Like you sat down, you obviously wrote way too many words. 
<laughs> well, actually, I mean, like, what is, what was this, what was this situation? How did you, it how did started, you well, it, to be honest, it started with characters. So okay. I have experienced so many different characters in my life and I'm not really a writer. I have no formal training in writing, but I have always been around some amazing storytellers in my life. And I always admired them. The coolest people were the best storytellers and I was never cool. So I would use my nerdy approach to life to study cool people. Like, what does he say? How does he tell a joke? Timing and whatever. And, oh man, this guy, he, he, man, everyone thinks he's really cool. I would just analyze the hell out of it and try and break it down for myself to understand it, to try and emulate that. And I feel like I've had some amazing examples of great storytellers in my life. And I've tried to educate myself on how to tell a story. And so I had all these characters bouncing around in my head. And then I just... I guess through all the great mythologies, because I'm a big nerd, I'd, I've, I've watched all of the movies, read all of the books. I felt there needed to be a mythology or world which is based around martial arts and not necessarily superpowers because this kind of, um, I think martial arts is a superpower and I think it's attainable. And I think that we as humans really underestimate our abilities. So I wanted to create, Bruce Lee has always been a huge hero of mine. Mm -hmm. And his dream was to give the world a Chinese superhero, which he did. I mean, Chinese American, but, you know, he really felt the discrimination against Chinese people. And he, uh, he's had a huge impact on my life. And I felt like I wanted to give the world a Brazilian jiu-jitsu superhero. But broader than that, I wanted to give multiple heroes um, different cultural narratives and different martial arts, their champion and, and have that come together in a, in a, in a kind of cool way. You know, like I, I love, you know, I love the Goonies. I love Star Wars. Uh, you know, I, lo I love all these different movies, uh, which when I go back and look at them, maybe they age a little or maybe they, uh, you know, it's not as good as when you're a kid because at the time it was so cool and maybe it's not so cool. But there, there is a, a beauty and um, a, a simplicity to it, which I think is lost in a lot of what is done in storytelling now. And I wanted something like that. Yeah, man, I, I this is right up my alley. I love what you're talking about. Um, I'm obsessed with, at the moment, the early Dungeons and Dragons, the yeah. X-Men evolution, from Claremont, all of the old, like the old storytelling. And one thing that's so interesting to me is how we can create worlds in business. And we, I don't want to go into it today because we'll end up going for four hours on a whole nother topic, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I love everything you're saying. And I think that if you look just at a very, you know, if, if anyone listening, think back to the last Netflix show that you watched and you know maybe a sopranos or something mm. and maybe you watch two two of them at a night or whatever and you kind of yeah. go through them pretty quick you know the episode the episodic nature like the, the start and the end of the episode gets you through that episode you want to see what happens yeah. in that episode so you stay in the couch right you say sitting down yeah. but to come back for the second and third episode and to come back over years yes you've got a relationship with tony you've got a relationship with all the characters right. You want to see how they change over time. Yeah. You're in the world and you know their yeah. magic, you know their politics, you know. You, you believe you believe yeah. them to be people. 
They will from they your, are they are characters. They are, yeah, yeah, they are mm. in your brain. And so I'm I I'm looking at this stuff from business, going, okay, here's a whole. This is this is this is brand at the highest level, mm. and we need to pay attention. So I'm I'm watching what you do as kind of leading edge and in terms of okay like from the business perspective this is very very good and you're building out your whole world um yeah of jt's world right through yeah. the, the games the book bulletproof and yeah. i'm not sure how much you've thought about that as well but it's well, really cool to watch i look i appreciate that i think that's that's quite meta of you there, John, <laughs> but that's fantastic. I mean, look, I knew it was bigger because I actually wanted to do a comic book. That's how it started. Yeah, I thought so. I was like, this is a comic book. And so I sat down to write because I, I, I designed all of the artwork on the card game. And that took me, the first iteration of the game took me a year. Did you, hold on, you designed it, meaning you drew it all? Yeah. Is that the one with the like frogs and stuff like that? Or is, have I not seen the card yeah. game? Yeah. The, well, no, I mean, so I've got the, I've got the card game here. There is artwork on the Instagram. Um, but essentially this is the second, the, the card game I'm holding right now is the second iteration, which is um, the procreate version. <laughs> this hold, is where hold, I had hold, some time. hold one up close for me real quick. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Right. So I, you know, I, the first version of the game, I just did like, so my background is, uh, uh, is a graffiti artist. You know, I did graffiti for a number of years, which turned into, I guess, more formal art kind of pursuit and uh, less of the running around um, trying to paint trains type business. But uh, essentially, I haven't really had any true formal art training other than just being obsessed with color and composition and comic books and all of this. And I don't have that outlet anymore and I needed a to scratch my creative itch. So I made the first version of the game just with lead pencils and a felt tip pen. And at that time I didn't have Procreate or an iPad. So I just sent them to my friend who's a graphic designer and got him to vectorize the images. So I had the black and white first version of the game. And I still have a couple copies of that, of that game floating around. And I had five, 500 copies of that game made but the feedback was the game was too basic and the graphics were too simple. And I, I kind of knew that it was kind of like a beta, but people bought it. I sold 450 copies of the first 500 still got a couple floating around, you know? So fortuitously I got an iPad for my birthday and procreate had been invented by the amazing people down in Tasmania, shout out to Aussie startups. And it's amazing. It's really, you know, it's digital design for dummies. And I was that dummy. <laughs> I was there with a, I literally had a ruler and I was ruling along the screen of the iPad with this, like I've got the stylus here. Like literally I put the ruler on and I'd be drawing lines and I would get a shot glass and I would, I would literally be tracing around the edge of the shot glass to get a circle. So after three months, I was getting insanely frustrated. So I was like, okay, I, I booked in at the Apple store to do a course. And there was this very effete man who said, oh, hey, oh, you're here for the course. And I said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with this iPad and Procreate's kicking my ass. And he's like, oh, uh, let me just show you something. And then he just, he's like, just look. And he just drew a squiggly line and he held the stylus on the screen for three seconds and it just line corrected and it went straight. 
And then he did the same with the circle and he just held it there and it just went bing. I was like, what? Oh, and I felt like such an idiot. The files are in the computer. I felt like such a, a Neanderthal. So then I, I did this little like one hour short course on how to use it. And then that gave me some good basis. And then I did a Domestica course and an Udemy course. And, and then eventually I, I knew more about Procreate than the people in the Apple store. And then I started doing more advanced online digital design stuff. And, and I was redesigning my game. At yeah. the same time as I was redesigning the game, I was inventing the characters for the story because the characters on the cards, and that's Jugo getting choked, are the characters in the story. And it was really, sorry, I, I totally digressed um, before when you asked me that question about writing. I traveled to the U United States in 2019 to meet my, my fiance's family. I was gonna, they're Polish. And so I asked her mother and father permission um, unbeknownst to her. Uh, just to keep it real. Um, and at the time, you know, we were on holiday. I didn't have to do anything. And that space gave me time to write. And every day I was just writing pages and pages for each character, like uh, building out each character, like mm. cultivating all the personalities, like characters that have influenced me from Roald Dahl and, and Tolkien and everything. And like to make the principle, the principles based on my school principal the bully is based on multiple bullies and bad guys and and all the different characters to really make them a real someone who you think is is actually exists mm -hmm. and and in my mind they are real people so it's very easy for me to write them and then we got to the end of the holiday and i thought to myself man i've got to i've got to put this into action and in 2020 i was due to go to america to really launch the card game because i had um, someone over there who would distribute it for me. And I was going to go over and do a bit of a tour to really promote the game and Bulletproof. And then COVID hit. So I now could not launch the game, really push the game in the way I wanted. And I thought to myself, and, and I believe this to be true, and some people may not agree with me, that great things only come from intense blocks of concentration. And that requires space and solitude so awesome book which you you're probably across um john which is deep work by cal newport and i he talks about all of these great realizations in science mathematics are come from someone just focusing on a task and just doing that thing and during lockdown i couldn't train people i couldn't do jujitsu i couldn't teach jujitsu the only thing i could do was move furniture and write and I was very inspired by the author of um, The Kite Runner. Oh, his name escapes me. Mm. But I remember uh, an interview with him where he said he wanted to write this book for a long time. And he's a doctor in uh, Israel, uh, like Palestinian border Israel. And the only time he had was he would have to get up an hour earlier every day. So he got up at 5 a.m. The only way he could actually write would be to get up at 4 a.m. and write for an hour and then get on with his day. It was the only way he could do it. He did this for three years to write the, the award-winning book, The Kite Runner. Mm. And this guy's a, a doctor in an emergency like ICU uh, in a war zone, basically. And I was like, look at me. I'm a first world Australian stuck in Melbourne 
I can't do anything. The universe is giving me an opportunity mm. to write this book. So I made a deal with myself that by the end of 2020, I would have a manuscript. And that's what I did. So now tell us about this new iteration and the first book, which I guess is the stripped down version of the manuscript of the first half. That's what's coming out shortly. Yes. Like we're going to get to see that. Yeah, definitely. So cool. we're pretty much there, John. It's exciting. I, I did a lot of research last year when I got to a point um, where essentially for me, I, one second, I knew that the book was going to be real. Like there's all these points in time where you're not sure and you, you, you kind of question yourself and I'm just scribbling. And I was getting up at 4am. I'll get up at 4am, write for two hours, mm -hmm. then go to man with the van, move furniture all day, come home, collapse on the floor. My lovely partner would feed me and then I'd write some more. And when I got to around probably August, September, I, the book was going to be real. I was very close. And so I started researching about being self-published, publishing deals, all kinds of things. And I realized that the publishing game is a pimp game. And even the greatest authors get totally just pillaged by publishing houses. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Even so, if we look at a woman like J.K. Rowling, financially the most successful author in the history of the publishing game, is a billionaire, or she made sure that she didn't become a billionaire, but, you know, around that mark, off 15%. Almost no writers get 15%. They get 10% mm. or 5%. Mm. And then I was reading, I was, you know, just going into my, my mode of just researching, going super deep on the publishing game, and it made me realize that I need to self-publish. Mm. So then I started researching allies, and I found a great group called Book Baby, and Book Baby is founded by self-published authors. And they are actually a bookmaker uh, first and foremost, but they also help you with your data optimization and all the other stuff. So when I was actually able to do some calls with them and work out if they were right for me, they explained to me a lot of different mechanics about doing a book launch and how there's all these things that you don't know. And then I was working with my editor going back and forth and that editing process not only finding an editor who is available because very good editors are usually busy. They're booked months in advance mm. to find the right editor. And, and that was its own process. It wasn't till probably February, March of this year that I was at a point where I could say, yes, I do have a viable book one and book two is currently, you know, in editing process. So book one is, the power of jiu-jitsu and this is how the main character jugo finds brazilian jiu-jitsu and the the epic change that occurs there um and that's it's it's been quite a process because you have to do far more work than it went through three edits with the editor and then it's gone through a, a, a copy edit mm. and then formatting and all the other things that you, you just don't really appreciate yeah like just writing the book isn't enough <laughs> like that's not where it stops yeah. like it and i i kind of knew that in the back of my mind but i didn't realize that it, it's probably less than half the task there's so much more involved with the cover design um yeah and plus like i'm working on you know i had to book the studio to record the audio book which i'll be doing very very soon and 
all the other things that go around the ebook formatting. And anyway, I don't want to bore people, but essentially if you are considering publishing your own book and you want to do it successfully, there are so many other things going on that you must consider. So you need to give yourself at least a year to once, once you've got your product and you're like, right, this is my best book and I'm ready to give this to the world. Give yourself a year to put that bad boy out. Mm. Very helpful. And I agree. I think that's um, the, the amount, like, you know, even everything from when you, when you pick up a book, you don't realize like the spacing and the guttering margin and the, like no. the, the fonts, the, the size every, of the font, the, so the style many, of the font. Yeah. Style paper stock. Like how's it all going to, like, how's it going to feel? And uh, there's a lot goes into it. There's one guy who his name is um, Michael Bunge Stania. He writes that oh, book, The Coaching Habit. I, I, off the back of your interview with him, I got his audiobook. Yeah. So he self published The Coaching Habit. Right. Yeah. It's oversold over a million copies. So amazing. Far. Amazing. And so, but when you pick it up, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's like, mm. it's a, it's, you know, because sometimes you pick up the self-published ones and they're kind of like cardboard and they're sort of cheesy, yeah. which is still great. Like you get a, you know, you, you've done the job, but yeah, um, it's something to be said for that next level of effort. Yeah. And look, I would say, I don't know what I'm doing. I say this all the time. Like I, I have an idea of what I want to achieve, but I have no true understanding of what it takes to get there. That's why I'm a bit unreasonable. <laughs> but I mean, I'm not trying to be reasonable. I, yeah. I don't really give a care about being reasonable because that's not, I, I feel that a lot of people put artificial constraints on what's possible. You know, I'm not an author. I'm not a qualified author. I'm not, I'm not a qualified game designer. It doesn't matter. I just make things, you know, yeah. like, you know, 500 years ago, there wasn't an art degree. You just made art. Mm. Right. So it's like, you just, you just do the thing. Yeah. And so for me, I don't expect that people can be, ah, oh, this is the best book ever. But I, I wrote, I just wanted to write a book for kids that want to do jujitsu or a kid who might not think they want to do jujitsu, but then they, they really like the story and then that inspires them, you know? And that's yeah. the same thing with the game. I wanted the game to be that some jujitsu kid plays it with their mate and then their mate gets interested and then they go off to jujitsu. You know, it's just an advocacy piece for getting kids to train martial arts. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, if I didn't find martial arts, my life would have been entirely different. So that's, that's how I, I, I view it. And um, I think it's worth it, whatever it takes. That's how I, that's why I tell myself when I get frustrated, just whatever it takes, <laughs> get it there. And will you, do you think that you'll do more books or more types of things once these are done? Oh, definitely. Well, this yeah. is just the first, see, I guess here's the thing. I, it's just the, it's just what my brain does. Um, so this is Jugo's story is his last year of primary school, tier six. He then goes off to high school in Empire City. So he lives in a small, crappy industrial town called Greystains. And it's the kind of town that when you grow up, you either move away, you, you leave and evolve, or you stay there and you kind of become a barnacle at the factory where everyone works. And a lot of different things happen in the town in that year, like big changes, big upheaval, big um, evolution, but it follows Jugo to high school because it's 1992. So the story is set in 1991 and this is pre 
jiu-jitsu anyone knows what brazilian jiu-jitsu is it's mm-hmm. before the kind of mma and all of this and he moves to the city and he stays with his uncle um his father's brother and he goes to empire high which is like a school for gifted kids um in terms of just in, you know a selective high school and they he gets to encounter other martial arts and so he does jujitsu but then he meets kickboxing and boxing and and wrestling and, and and there's all these other cultural narratives that are told through these characters and they're all in conflict. But the truth is they must band together to save the school because mm. there's all these corrupt forces external to the school that are threatening it and also threatening the larger city of empire, empire city. So yeah, it's a really interesting mix. It's a lot of, there's a, there's a mixture from my childhood and different other I guess, uh, fantasy scenarios of a city like New York or a city like Sydney at that time and bringing it together and being able to show young people that they are far more powerful than they know and that just because they're young doesn't mean they don't have a a huge uh, ability to enact change and that they're stronger together. Yeah, a lot of the time we we get into conflict as young people, whether it's young women or young men, and that uh, yeah, it's it's it, and then it's so from what I can see, even though <laughs> I had a friend of mine who's a published author, um, Nat Amor, say, "Oh man, you shouldn't lead with this. A publisher will never take you." <laughs> There's six books there, so each book chronicles a year in Jugo's life through high school, through to graduation, which takes him out at uh, you know 1997, 1998 which is also another interesting time. Um, So for me, I I already have timelined that and I have already written those characters. And once I feel comfortable, like once I'm happy, satisfied with how polished and finished book two is, which um, hopefully all things going according to plan will be released mid to, you know, June, July next year. Yeah. then uh, I, in the process between now and then, I'll be looking at the first book of the Empire High series. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very cool, man. Very cool. So, is there anything that you've learned? I'm just interested from someone who's, you know, you're a businessman, you part of uh, Bulletproof BJJ, and you teach BJJ and coach other people and you know you've got a lot going on is there anything in the work that you've done creating this book creating this this game and sort of starting to build that world that has changed how you look at you know your life or the other things that you do or um you know any sort of macro level learnings i guess from the journey so far I think for me, what I'm coming to understand more and more is, I, I, I think, it, yeah, it's, it, it is naive, but it drives me that if you do something good enough, people will take notice. And that's not true. Even if you do something e- exceptional, uh, you could have the best thing in the world. If you have not put the time and energy into understanding marketing, um, communication, and put equal amounts of energy into um, sharing what you've created with people, like really putting it out there. Um, it's, it's, it's not that you shouldn't have made it in the first place, but it, it is just, it's not enough. And 
and that applies with say like bulletproof bjj i i feel that what we do with bulletproof is the most relevant thing going on right now in jiu-jitsu to the majority of people who train jiu-jitsu i'm not i i personally don't think if you're 21 years old and you're just a like a young animal loving jiu-jitsu like you should stretch and you should do recovery work and you should lift but you can also not do that and be okay. Mm -hmm. But there will be a critical point that you won't be. You're all good till you're not. But the majority of people who train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are ladies and gentlemen in their thirties. Yeah. And maybe they've got pre-existing injuries and they've got professional jobs and they've got kids and they only train twice a week. And they're just trying to stay in the game because it's such a lovely thing to do mentally and physically. They're our people. That's who we speak to. But there's so much noise and there's so much competition for their attention that we have to work our asses off to break through that. And I know what we have is really good. And right now I'm just trying to examine and better understand how we can improve our communication to make it a global brand so that that's what people do. When people are looking after themselves for jujitsu, they're doing bulletproof. And both Joey and I have a very consolidated and unified vision in how we want to impact jiu-jitsu culture. And for me, I want to impact world culture by advocating for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So it's, uh, it all comes out of it because I see so many people getting so much out of it on so many different levels. And mm -hmm. the level of humility that jiu-jitsu can bring to you from just kicking your ass is a, is, a, is a great thing. And there's not many things that we do in life that bring us that degree of um, just, just humbling humbling message of how much you suck and that's that's good that's good for us uh as as, as, a, as a career personal trainer and having made a made in my whole life based around adversifying people's lives um to see jujitsu do that in a very normal like a, a very unconstructed way you've got someone who doesn't want to comply to what you're trying to do and they're trying to choke you and you're just trying to overcome all these instincts and stuff going mm -hmm. on in your brain it, it does a beautiful thing to change the way people look at themselves and each other. And I want to encourage more people to get around that. So I think the big learnings have been trying to stay the course and not just want to flip the table over in frustration because I'm not, I'm not seeing, I mean, I don't know what my expectation should be, John. I, I'm an unreasonable person. I don't, I don't care for what other people say. You know, I've spoken to people who know more than me and have told me this is, uh, you shouldn't do that. Uh, that's a niche, uh, like just all the different things because basically what they're saying is I haven't got energy to do that. And is that's fine. For your book, for your books, do you mean? Yeah, anything. Everything, everything. Anything. It's like, oh, jujitsu is so niche. Why would you do that? Yeah. Oh, I think that's the best reason to do it. Yeah, I think what I you're mean, doing is perf perfect. You're, you're going specific. You're building a world. I think it's engaging. It's entertaining as well. And there's a little insight. You know, I think it's really cool. No, I appreciate that. No, I, I, I just, it's interesting to me because I'm obsessed. I'm like a crack fiend for startup stories. You know, I listen to all the startup podcasts. I am so well-versed in all the kind of unicorns and the pivots and all the things. And at the end of the day, it just comes down to that underdog thing. I don't know if it's because I'm Australian or it's culturally inbred in my mind around this idea of someone who's so close to failure and 
through grit and determination, they find their way out. And that's, I find that is empowering, even though some people might think it's cliche, like that's, that's what it took for almost every single success is the fact they just stayed in the game very barely. And then they're able to win out. Yeah. And I believe that we are all capable of all capable of that on very small and bigger levels and mm-hmm. giving people more grit and more determination is never going to be um, a bad thing. Yeah. I have a, a kind of a thought on that, that your, your patience will beat my confidence. Like someone can come into the room confident and hot and know exactly what they're doing. But if you're patient, you will win out every time. You know, if you have endurance and resilience, it doesn't matter how much I think I know or what my head start is because given a long enough time frame, it always equalizes, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, you've got to, I think, I mean, this is probably something I've gotten from Joey. Don't tell him. Um, but, you know, he's a very calm guy and he's, Joey is very methodical. I'm a little bit more sporadic. Uh, but I definitely understand that some things I do, the way I approach certain things are not sustainable, but that's, that's okay. Uh, because I recognize it and I understand that this thing that I'm trying to do, I guess it's, it's somewhat schizophrenic because there's a voice in my mind, like go harder, go harder. And then there's another voice that says, no, you, you're going to get there. You know, there's a, there's a very unwavering belief in me that, uh, well, actually, it doesn't even matter, you know, like whatever, you know, whatever, however you view success, it doesn't matter whether or not you have some best selling thing or not, because ultimately, I'm, I believe in my ideas and I'm so determined, it doesn't really matter if something is a box office success or mm-hmm. it's not, I'm still going to be doing my work, I'm still going to be sticking to my processes, I'm still going to be getting up at 4am, 5am and doing what I do, because that's who I am. You know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I trust that. Yeah. And you have that feeling where you set a goal from your own center or a vision from your own center. And as you move towards that vision, that is success, right? The moving towards mm. the vision that you created, like that's pretty cool, man. And then once that vision's realized, then you set the next vision. You know, it reminds me of there's these stories of, uh, you know, authors, like there's these authors like Isaac Asimov and stuff. He wrote 400 plus books. There's these wow. people, they'll sit down and from eight till 12 or whatever it is, they'll, they'll do 2000 words. Right. And, or whatever. Right. And they hit their number. Now, if they finish the book, the, say the book's coming to the close and it's 1030 in the morning and they type the end and they've written a thousand words they slide it across, put a new piece of paper and do the next thousand words. Right. And it's just like, when you look at, I guess, inverted commas, success as moving towards the thing that you see as the vision, you know, it makes sense. Well, they've done the end, but they've still got work to do on the next one. You know, yeah, definitely. pretty inspiring stuff. Some of those, some of the writers. Yeah. Look, I, <laughs> I always try and put it in context because, you know, I listen to, you know, like a, a Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you look at the, you know, when you look at uh, his science series, which uh, Cosmos, essentially him continuing the work of Carl Sagan, right? And Carl Sagan being the guy he was, 
And then you look at all the scientists and mathematicians and uh, physicists who enabled, you know, I, I forget the name of the film, which is about the, the, the black women uh, who were part of the NASA program, which if they hadn't been part of that, the computers, it wouldn't have happened. Their brilliance is what really facilitated that in a very racist part of the world at that time. And you're like, man, I'm not them. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to make a game. I'm just trying to just write a kid's book. You know, I'm not even writing, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, Nietzsche or like, I'm not writing as much. I love philosophy, right? Like I, I would love to think that I could have an idea that would be pervasive enough to last a thousand years or a couple hundred years, but it's probably not true. You know, what I'm trying to do is pretty, it's not even basic. It feels foolish sometimes, but it's, it doesn't matter because, you know, we don't know the impact of our actions. And I, I get, I have all these little grabs in my mind that just fuel me to, to do something for the sake of doing it. Because um, have you read the book or seen the film cloud Atlas? No. Okay. It's, it's a, a many splintered thing. It's essentially nine stories brought into one told out of order across many different timelines. But as the book comes towards the end, you see how each story crosses its generation to the next and how it all goes together. And each piece of the story is so different and and some of it's so ridiculous, but it still enables a continuation of an idea of perseverance and people trying to make a difference in the world. And when I think about a story like the Goonies and, you know, the, the flippancy of certain kids books and things that made up my childhood, it really helped me be the person I am. And Mm. I would, I would love to contribute to another kid's childhood that maybe they, they reach that point too. Yeah, that's cool. Like a thread in the fabric of the culture, you know, and trying to create a a healthy culture by having healthy threads, you know, and I think we can all do that. That's a great thing. You know, whatever your work is, whatever you're doing, what you're listening to this, whatever you do, how you show up in your day and whatever you do, you get that little chance, you know, to create Mm. something that's feels small sometimes, Mm. but it, uh, I, I believe it makes a difference. I agree. And like, you know, I mean, I, I take cues from all kinds of people. You know, I've been in, very inspired by Nipsey Hussle lately. I'm not saying Nipsey Hussle is the best person in the world or was, you know, he's passed away. But he had a vision, which is much broader than gangster rap and much bigger than, uh, you know, gang banging. And, you know, he bought the script mall that he used to deal out the front of, you know, he was enterprising. He owned his own masters. He never signed. He was a real entrepreneur. And he had vision, even though, yeah, I, I wouldn't follow his lifestyle choices, but he had a mind to think differently. And, and when I listened to him speak, I'm like, this guy could see much bigger than his situation. And even though he was murdered, unfortunately, it doesn't mean that he didn't help give an example to other entre- aspiring entrepreneurs who might be coming from a similar place. Mm. And I mean, I'd take cues from Kanye, even though I don't like Kanye. I don't even support his music anymore because I don't want him to make money. I'm sick of how much money Kanye makes. I feel he's so overrated now. But there's a part of my history where I really 
appreciated his mindset because for the best part, most of us are not confident enough. And mm. Kanye is too confident, right? Mm. We all need 500 milligrams of Kanye on a, a, a semi-regular basis. But that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like not that, not that I've got it all worked out, but, you know, I'm, I'm bloody, you know, I eat my vegetables, take my vitamins. I go to bed early. I get up early. I do my stretches. Why? Not because I'm trying to be a world champion. I'm, I honestly want to be a good example. So when someone asks me what I do, they don't just go, oh, yeah, he's that creative guy. But yeah, he's a dickhead. Well, I mean, some people might say that, but I, I want my personal life. I am happy to put my personal life on record to say I live by my principles. Here is my example and here is my output. Mm. I don't mm. think that you have to, you know, to be a creative person, you don't have to smoke weed and get drunk and, and do all kind of debaucherous things. And by the same token, I feel you can be a very disciplined, healthy, organized person and still have many creative outlets and, and have a good time doing that too. And I feel like it's our, the modern cultural dogma is that that is not the case. Oh, I do maths or, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not a strong person. And this is all just bullshit because who we are is whatever we say we are. And that I really want people to just look at what I'm doing and just go, oh my God, that dude's doing a podcast and he's made a game and he did this and wrote a book and made an invention. And I just, I'm just trying to get it in, John, because I think we've got one run at this and I'm just trying to make the most of it. I love it. I think we'll wrap it up there, man. That was epic and I learned a lot. And, um, you know, I've been following your journey for a bit and keen to see this book come point me actually point us all where do we where do we pre-order or find out about it and definitely then... so um the pre-order will be starting 20th of this month 20th of okay. october um you'll be able to pre-order uh you can if you go to jugoplay.com j-i-u-g-o-p-l-a-y.com uh you'll be able to order through um my website and that will mean you'll get your copies early we're also going to do a bit of a competition to give away some shirts and stickers and merch stuff. And then the official launch will actually be the 20th of December where people around the world um, will be able to actually have their copies shipped to them from Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, it's only the beginning. Cool. Awesome, brother. Any parting words or other places you'd like to direct people? No, well, I just... I just wanted to thank you, John. I appreciate your work. You know, I've been listening to the Creator Club. I, I listened to uh, Dan Brown. Shout out Mullet Lord. Uh, he's a dude, was, huh? He's such a good dude. Hilarious. And I follow his Instagram. But I think, you know, I I feel lucky to uh, have this conversation with you because I get a lot from your content and it helps, reminds me to stick to process because you have those competing voices in your mind and, you are a very calm and centered voice uh, amidst the world of noise of, of social media. So thank you for your work, John, and thank you for having me on. Anytime, brother. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks Definitely. for coming. Thanks, man.